<laughs> when I was at Arizona State University, it was ranked the number one party school in the United States by Playboy magazine. So, uh, George, thank you so much for talking about Dr. Green and Oxford and <laughs> published in journals and then contextualizing me with Arizona State University and Arizona State University only. I don't, I don't know how to pull out of this tailspin at this point. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about myself. Number one, Arizona State University is the greatest school on the planet. Um, Oxford, of course, is the Arizona State University of the East. Um, I grew up in West Texas area of the United States uh, in oil field country. Uh, one of the towns I lived in growing up, a town called Odessa. You might have heard about, about it from uh, Friday Night Lights if you watch that show or that movie or whatever. It still has the number one crime rate in the country. Uh, so I grew up in a little bit of a rough and tumble area. I was in Phoenix for a long time. And then uh, somebody from uh, Bayview Glen called me a number of years ago, uh, just over about six years ago actually, and said, uh, would you consider pastoring a church in Canada. I had never been to Canada. Um, uh, my wife had been to Vancouver once on accident. So, um, you know, and I thought that U.S. kind of owned everything north. I didn't, I, you know, I was unaware. USA, USA, right? And then it was great because like I came here and I interviewed and I loved it. Uh, it's the most multi-ethnic city in the world. That's really great for our family because our, our children are black. You'll get to meet them here in a minute. Um, and uh, you know, so coming, coming here and then, and then uh, the administration changed and the president, right? The administration changed. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, that I live in Canada. Uh, this is a really good thing. Um, when it comes to just kind of life in general, and I only have about 20 minutes with you here this morning, so we kind of got to get right into it. When it comes to life in general, it's imperative that we start with the end in mind, Right? Uh, you don't just come to university here at Tyndale without an end in mind. Uh, otherwise, you're just kind of haphazard and uh, punching as if, as if you're a man beating the air. Uh, when you talk about raising children, and I have two, again, you'll meet them here uh, shortly via picture. Um, you got to start with the end in mind. What kind of person do I want them to be when they're 30 or 40 or 50 when I'm long gone? You've got to start with the end in mind. And I think there is a radical misunderstanding of the good news of Jesus uh, because we misunderstand the end that God has in mind. And you, interestingly enough, we misunderstand it. And yet, and yet he's made it very, very clear the end that he has in mind. In fact, that's the scripture that I'm going to read for us this morning. You don't have to open your Bibles. Just listen closely. This is the end that God has in mind as he's revealed to uh, the apostle John, John writes this, he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. We're going to camp on that phrase just a little bit. And he also said, just in case you forget, write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Behold, I am making all things new. That's the end that God has in mind. And so in order to understand the end that he has in mind, let's rewind to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the deep. And God began to create, and he said, let there be light, and there was light, and God said that it was good, and God created uh, fish in the sea and birds in the air and plants and vegetation and animals, and he created you and me, male and female, in his own image, and he gave them a job, a really good job, by the way, fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, have sex, make babies. And he made him naked, so it was easier, right? That's, that's the first commandment. Not, not right now, Tyndale students, down the road, okay? First, fill the earth. Number two, subdue it. In other words, create culture, develop, grow, make music, make art. Then he gave him a job. He said, name the animals and tend the garden. He, he says, I created this for you and I created all things perfect. I created them all good. In fact, if you read Genesis chapter one and two, uh, as if it's a song, uh, that, that phrase, it was good, it was good, it was good, is the refrain, it's the chorus, it's the hook that the song keeps coming back to. It was good, it was good, it was good. And God created all things perfect. He created us with a sense of community with one another and relationship. He gave us a job, work to do. He gave us one another. He gave us the opportunity to have a relationship with him, to walk with him as a friend does in the cool of the day. But then Genesis chapter three rolls around. Man rebels from God and the whole thing just spins out of control. The universe and, and the cosmos are fractured and God's created order of peace and goodness and, and, and the fruit of labor and the ground didn't even have to be worked. It just kind of rendered up fruits and vegetables for man to enjoy. And once again, the have sex, make babies part was there too. And God created all things perfect, but in our sin and brokenness, as we ran away from God and ran away from his goodness and his kingdom and his authority and his sovereignty in our lives, those things got fractured, they got broken, they got marred. And the rest of scripture from Genesis chapter three on to about Matthew chapter one, verse one, is essentially a written record of what happens when we say, God, I know you created all things good, but I'm not real interested in that anymore. Sometimes we read the Old Testament as if like it's a list of do's and don'ts. Like, I don't know if you've read the same Old Testament I have, but it's like a Game of Thrones episode. Like, it's gnarly. It's not like a list of do's and don'ts. It's a written record of what happens when humanity rejects God. But then Jesus comes along and he inaugurates a kingdom and he says, I am here to restore what God made perfect. I am here to restore what God made good. I am here to restore what God made right and you bust it up. And Jesus inaugurates a kingdom. And then they crucified him. Three days later, there was an empty tomb. About 40 days after that, he ascended to the right hand of the father. 
And one day he will return, not as the humble sacrificial servant, but as the reigning king. And when he does, his end game that he has in mind is to make all things new. To restore and renew and reconcile. To bring back all that goodness, all that connection, all that beauty, all of that harmony, all of the things in this world that we look at and we have a sense of angst that things are broken, that, that, that whether it's global warfare or global warming or personal stuff that's going on in your own life, mental health issues, things that I've struggled with in the past, to be honest with you, busted up relationships, all those things, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. He will make all things new. So, just two really quick points of application. I want to tell you one story and then you can go to class. First is this. The notion that the good news about Jesus, that he came to uh, rescue and redeem a disembodied soul so that that disembodied soul could spend eternity in a place called heaven is decidedly not a biblical notion. I'm gonna say that one more time, okay? This idea, and this is what I was taught like as a kid in West Texas at First Southern Baptist Church of West Texas. Our worship pastor had over a thousand suits. That's the kind of place I lived in. You wanna talk about brokenness in the world, that's one of them, all right? Okay, so here's the notion that I got taught growing up and that you may have been taught growing up in church or you may kind of heard that Christianity is, is that at some point, this thing, my body, is gonna quit and die. It might be right now while I'm speaking, which would be a great story to tell people. Wow, our speaker died in chapel today. It was crazy. That's how not to get invited back, right? Die, die as a speaker. So, so, the, so the notion is this, this thing is going to give up and something inside of me that's like the immaterial part of me, we call it our soul, we call it our spirit, we call it our consciousness, is going to separate from my body and for the rest of eternity kind of float around in a place called heaven where there's streets of gold and crystal sea and apparently like play a harp. Like I don't, I don't even like the harp, right? No offense if you like the harp. That's decidedly not a biblical notion. Why do I know that? Because God says he's going to give me a new body. And he created humanity with a body, with a physical body. That was part of his good and original plan. This tent that I'm living in right now is going to give up at some point. But one, at one day when the resurrection comes around, when Jesus makes all things new, he will restore my body. And everything that's broken about the world will find hope and healing in the com completed and consummated kingdom of Jesus. Application point number one is simply this. Let's stop preaching ourselves Let's stop preaching to one another this rather incomplete, rather narrow gospel. Can you imagine that if God sent his only son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I've got two kids, uh, older one, Kaya, and younger one, Canaan. Canaan's about five months old. He's very, very, very cute. Cuter than, if any of you have children, they're cuter than your kids, very much cuter. 
And I'm not interested in giving him up so that some disembodied immaterial part of you might spend eternity in like the good place. Well, neither is God. The reason why he gave his son into the world is because he created all things perfect and we busted him up. And he's making all things new. See, that's a far more comprehensive gospel, isn't it? It's, it's a far-reaching gospel. It's a gospel that impacts the way you work, the way you play, the way you relate. Let's just take just one example. All of the sudden, because this, this is, if, if you believe this narrow gospel about a disembodied soul, here's how you go work at your job as like an engineer or an accountant or for most of you uh, university male students, you, you play video games for a living, apparently. Um, women, is that what they do for a living? Okay, men of God, pretty girls, ask them out. That's okay. Women, you're welcome. Um, if you see your job, if, if you see the gospel as a very narrow gospel that, that the disembodied soul is going to go to heaven one day and I need to be forgiven of my sin by Jesus so my disembodied consciousness can go spend eternity with him. Here's how you see your job. I go to work as an engineer or accountant so that I can meet people and invite them to church. So that their disembodied soul could spend eternity in heaven one day. But see, that's not how God looks at your job. God looks at your work as part and parcel of his good and beautiful and harmonious creation. And so when you go to work and subdue the earth and create culture and get creative and make music and do spreadsheets, which sounds like hell to me, but that's something that God gave unto you in order to give back to the world and move things forward and live out the image of God that is, has been placed on you, marred, yes, busted, yes, but you are great growing in that and God is restoring and renewing that. And so all of a sudden now my work is not just about meeting people so I can bring them to church. And so that one day when their soul separates from their body, they go to heaven. It's about living the good news of Jesus, that he's making all things new. Uh, one quick story and, and, and a point of application number two, and then we'll be done. So God created all things perfect. We broke them. Jesus came to inaugurate that kingdom, okay? To restore all things, to, to renew all things, to reconcile man unto God, to bring back beauty and goodness and all that stuff. And, and one day he'll come back and finish it. And in the meantime, is the world right or wrong? Is it good or bad? Is it, is it broken or is it functioning just fine? Well, in my opinion, it's, it's a little bit busted, right? A little bit broken. If you don't agree with that, turn on the news. Okay, so in the meantime, until Jesus comes back and makes all things new, what are we to do? What is our charge as followers of Christ? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That relationship was busted and broken and God reconciled us to himself. And now what has he done? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says it again, watch. 
He says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. There is the forgiveness of sin part. And so we would affirm that and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, we live in a broken and busted world. And so we say, what now? And God responds with, well, get busy. Get busy bringing healing, get busy bringing renewal, get busy bringing the goodness and beauty that God originally intended. Sacrifice, give, work, play, and relate to one another in the way that God designed and participate in his grand redemptive plan to make all things new. And if you're looking for opportunities, you'll find them. One quick story and then we'll be done. Uh, Both of my kids are adopted. My wife is white. I said that both of my kids are black. That wasn't like accident. They didn't come out that way. And I'm like, what, what, what's the deal here? Um, so here, here's a picture of my kids up here on the screen. Uh, that's Kaya, the older one, and she's holding baby Canaan and they love each other and they love me a lot. They think I'm awesome. Uh, you might not, and that's fine. They think I'm awesome. Uh, My wife and I chose adoption. Um, It wasn't because we struggled with fertility issues. We always wanted to adopt. Um, That's, I don't have to get PG-13 about that, do I? You can understand what that means? Okay, good. Um, And about four years ago in August, we adopted Kaya. Kaya has two older full biological siblings. Uh, About 13 months after Kaya was born, 14 months after Kaya was born, Uh, Her birth mom, who we have an open relationship with, we talk to her, text with her, all that stuff on a very regular basis, uh, texted my wife a picture, just one picture of an ultrasound. And then my wife texted me that picture and I responded, whose womb is this? (laughs) (laughs) Legitimate question. So it was Kaya's birth mom's womb. Remember, same birth mom, same birth dad. I'm very close with both of them. Love them both very much. They have two children and Kaya was the third and we adopted her through an agency. So here was the fourth. And they called and said, would you adopt this baby? And we said, of course we would. Of course we would. So if you know anything about adoption, here's how it works. Uh, That was about four to six weeks into her pregnancy. And so for the next eight months, we paid all of her expenses. It it turned out to be about 20 grand US. So I don't have any money. Um, Essentially is what I'm telling you. Uh, At the end of that time, we traveled down to Florida. We were uh, in the hospital when that baby was born via C-section. Uh, the birth mom had a couple of complications. And so for the next five days, she was in the hospital. My wife and I stayed there every night. We did every bottle feeding. We did every uh, diaper change. We held the baby the entire time. And it was on a Saturday at about 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and uh, birth mom was supposed to be discharged at about 11. And we went in to take the baby home. And she changed her mind and said uh, that she would like to parent the baby. So 
Uh, I have never had a child die. Uh, I've never, my wife's never been pregnant that we know of and, you know, never had a miscarriage that we know of. Certainly never lost a child in death. But what psychologists would say is that uh, a failed adoption, especially after five days in a hospital with a child like that, um, would be comparable to losing a child in death. And that's certainly what it felt like for me. I walked out of the hospital room and collapsed and erupted in tears and my wife had to drag me out. Uh, We told birth mom and birth dad, who we love, again, very, very much, we probably won't be talking to you much for a little while. Uh, we don't know what to do with this. I mean, this, this broke our heart. We, 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 this, we can't deal with this. We don't, we don't we, 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 the grief is too heavy. But because the gospel is not just about a disembodied soul going to heaven one day, God started to do some things. He started to make things new. He started to pick up pieces of brokenness and kind of put them together. He started to do some healing work. And about four or five months later, we got in contact with them again and the relationship started to develop and build. And so in March of the following year, when they decided it was finally time for them to get married, guess who officiated? And the maid of honor? My wife. And the flower girl? Her. We had another adoption fail after that. And then Canaan was born in August of this year. Today, uh, that family, who I love very much, again, is uh, living in uh, the States. They're both working. They're serving in their church. They're both involved in Bible study. Uh, They actually gave their life to Jesus about a week after Kaya was born. Uh, Is that pain still, still real? Yeah. Do I still grieve that baby sometimes? Yeah. Especially when I'm visiting that family and I'm pushing that little baby on a swing. The one I was supposed to adopt, right? But the gospel, friends, is far bigger and far greater. And Jesus has far bigger plans than one day some kind of airy thing leaving your body and going to play a harp for a long time. He's making all things new. And I don't care what grief you're experiencing today. I don't care what pain you're experiencing today. I don't care. God does. And he knows. And if you let him, he can pick up the pieces and make it new. And now we are ambassadors for Christ. Living out that message of reconciliation to others. Let's pray. God, if you would maybe impress upon our minds even today that what the end is that you have in mind, that you are making all things new, restoring our world to a time where there are no tears, no mourning, no crying, no, nor pain. And in the meantime, you have entrusted that message to us, not just to speak it, but to live it to bring your goodness and to bring your beauty and to bring your mercy and to bring your grace into a lost and broken and hurting world and and not just to bring it but to experience it in our own lives and relationships. 
God, expand our minds and expand our hearts today beyond a simple, narrow gospel and remind us that each and everything that we do and say can be, should be an embodiment of the good news about Jesus. In Christ's name, the people of God together said, have a fantastic Tuesday. God bless you. Thanks for having me. Bye.